You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. I am Kathy Biasse, and this is our producer Alex Diaz. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to everybody listening. How are you? I'm happy today. You're happy, happy today. You're happy every day, Alex. Yes, Come on. I am. I uh, am. You're a lovely, lovely person to be around with oh, your aura. You. Uh, you're very welcome. Well, Alex, it happens every year. Summer comes to an end. I have heard um, commercials for Christmas, lights and trees coming out. I was out shopping with my daughter yesterday in the winter. Mm-hmm. Coats are out. And I was at the CNE last week. And that, that, is, that is like the, the sure sign that summer is coming to an end. Yes. And, you know, as much as, as, um, as much as I like the fall season, I, I have to say I truly hate, I hate, truly hate this time of year when things are imminent. And, and I guess maybe it's going back to routine that... Uh, Really, I know we we're, we get so um, into this whole relaxation mode in summer, and then unfortunately, summer is only approximately two two months for those of who for those of us who are actually lucky to have a two month vacation in terms of away from the routines. But yeah, you're right. Once once the middle of August hits, I find that you know I start just thinking about. You know September already, and it's like, like as you mentioned, um, people are already thinking about Christmas, and we haven't even got to like um, Halloween yet, and you know it's all it's all together. Halloween. Good holiday to pull out of the bag, there, Alex. It's, 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 <laughs> Do you, you still know, trick or treat? Uh, I wish, but not so much. It's not good for my teeth. Well, it's um, if if the Google is right, I didn't do any sort of calculations with the calendar, but we have 118 days until Christmas. Oh, that is something. It is something. Um, and this sort of ties in with what we're going to be talking about today, the end of summer, beginning of fall, because when you're a gardener, you have to think ahead. Um, I, I honestly, I'm not a green thumb. I like to plant a few things. Mm-hmm. I have um, two gardens in our place up north and our place here. And the total motivation of my garden, other than the few uh, vegetables that I plant, right. is low maintenance. So I am not one that loves to be outside and, and maybe because it, I'm busy and I just, it, 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 it's, it's something I think people have a passion for. Right. I love to see a beautiful garden, but I don't, I don't take the time really to go and enjoy and learn flowers. I try my best. I have to say I try my best, but really the motivation for me is to look at a nice space with low maintenance as far as I'm concerned. But for those who do have a passion and for those who, who are planting for the following season, now is the time to make hay. So this show is going to be for you, the avid gardener, and those who are just maybe starting to learn and need to understand a little bit of how we need to turn over the garden for the fall season and prepare for the winter and the upcoming spring season. Because you know what you lay now will, um, some things you plant now will be coming up early spring. And that's always a great sign of, of that season to come too. Always something to look forward to. Oh, it is when those crocuses come up, or so it's like okay, I can put my winter coat away finally. It's it's nice. I do. I mean, those who take the time to plant a spring garden, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for because it does make me feel so much better. I have. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to plant some bulbs and things, but mine are dug up. Mm-hmm. So maybe Teresa will have some tips for that too. Because one year I did plant. I planted a ton of tulips and. I found when the snow had left little holes, little tulip bulbs in the garden, a little, the little animals came and picked them out. 
So Teresa maybe will be able to help us with that today, some tips for that. So it's going to be a great show for those of you wanting to learn or some extra tips. Do call in at 416-245-1534 and talk to Teresa. She's got lots of great information for you. Teresa Matamoros is a certified, certified arborist and is the founder and president of Garden Holistics. Garden Holistics was founded in 1997 in Toronto and the GTA, but moved 12 years ago to the shores of Georgian Bay. Garden Holistics is an accredited organic land care practitioner from the Society for Organic Urban Land Care and provides professional and dedicated landscape maintenance and installation services. So as I said, have your questions primed and ready to go. Teresa's got a lot of information for you, and now's the time to be looking at our garden. And we will be back to talk to Teresa in a few minutes. Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders. You can start over regrets, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus. He gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders, so you can start over. Don't let your heart be troubled, don't be afraid To the broken hearted, their wishes paid Never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed I know you think there's no hope, no, but that ain't true Jesus saved I know you feel a regret, like I brought this all on myself Like I messed it up big time and this time I don't deserve God's help Thinking, how can God forgive me? After knowing what I hid, can he? After knowing that I hid from him and I stayed away and backslid. Listen, Jesus came for the sick. So true. Jesus came for the weak. Amen. Jesus came to give good news and to set the captives free. Amen. Listen, Jesus came for the poor. Amen. Jesus came with the keys. Amen. Jesus came to remove the chains so of the prisoners. Every lady's got a blank face. A story In the ocean floor, run to his arms like an open door. God the Father sent the sons, so men can come and be free and gotta run no That's more. Come doing. to me, all who are weary. With heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Separating you from your sin, as far as the east is from the he west. Said. Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness. What sin, what offense? And when them waves come crashing in, now come the winds in your defense. So whatever said. it is that you've done, he put that punishment on his son. His You'll son. never come under his condemnation, conquer sin and Satan and his accusations. So dry your eyes, lift up your head. Plus he gave us his peace, his peace And he took our guilt on the cross instead Took our place and now we embrace A clean slate with the eyes of faith We do unfailing love, unfailing love Everybody's It's not too late, start over A story You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to The Health Hub. We are live today. You can call in at 416-245-1534. We are also on Instagram at The Health Hub RMC. You can tweet at me at Kathy underscore Biasi. You can find us on Facebook at The Health Hub Radio Maria. Or if you have questions that are lingering, you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Lots of great ways to get a hold of us. Lots of great information on our sites, not just about the shows, but things around our shows and the information that we've gathered. So please take a look and follow us. We'd love to have you on board. So our guest today is Teresa Matamoros. Again, she is a certified arborist. Teresa, welcome to the show. 
Thanks very much, Kathy. Thank Pleasure you for here. Thank you for joining us. Now I, you're under construction, I hear. So you're calling us remotely. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> that can be a little unsettling. We're going through some construction ourselves. Oh yeah, it's uh, with the roof off and all that rain. It was a little nerve wracking. I bet it was. I bet it was. So have you completely moved out of your place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. we've. We're in another place, but um, until the end of November, then they say we can move back in. Oh, that's, that's quite a stint. Well, good luck to you, because I know that can be challenging. Yeah, I never <laughs> realized just uh, when people say, you know, renovations make or break uh, relationships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not there. We're yeah. not there, but I can, uh, I can see the stress factor. Well, we've been ongoing with renovations for three years now, and uh, it's a slow oh. process. We finally got the downstairs, but that, that's an aside. Anyways, I do feel yeah. for you, and uh, good luck but with thank that. Thank goodness I garden. <laughs> yeah, that's a stress relief, I imagine, for you. It is. It really is. How did you get into gardening? Well, you know, um, I, when I look back at my life, um, we took uh, with my parents, they didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up, so our uh, source of entertainment was going for walks in High Park, going to conservation areas. And my mother was very much, we always had a book that we could look at and identify the things that we were um, coming across, wildflowers, trees. So I think that's when it started. And then I, uh, as I got older, I helped my father with his garden. And, um, and that's you know, how I was, the interest and the passion was there, but I went to university and got my Bachelor of Science in Nursing, thinking that that was a good uh, um, profession to fall back on. But after I had my kids, I was really looking to do something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started taking courses in horticulture. And then it just, it just exploded from there. That's great. Now, and you moved from Toronto to up to the Georgian Bay area. Was that a, a business move or more of a personal? Well, we moved from Toronto to Aurora while the kids were growing up. And that's where I started my business, working in downtown Toronto. And doing that uh, commute from Toronto, from Aurora to uh, downtown Toronto just got to be way too much. I really felt like I was part of the problem with, you know, driving a truck. I was by myself into the city to do gardening. And, and then I thought, oh, we just have to move out. So we looked up in the Georgian Bay area and that was uh, 13 years ago. So Great. we moved and I don't look back, regret it one second. The winters aren't tougher up there for you? Oh, they're beautiful. The winters are beautiful. There's lots of snow. And when we get snow, it stays and it's white and it's pretty. <laughs> See, that's exactly what we need. Just after my introduction, saying how much I regret winter, summer coming to an end, you're helping me to look forward to the winter season. Oh, good. I'm actually, I use winter as like, okay, it's, it's building up for when the warmer season comes. But, I, you know, I do like having the four seasons, but I do, I really do like the summertime. So let's get yeah. into gardening. What is yeah. organic gardening? Organic gardening is actually quite simple. It is gardening without the use of chemicals or chemical fertilizers. And that's it. And that's it. And you do organic gardening for the environment or for pets or, or what started you on that path? Well, um, when I was doing my studies and learning about all the different um, chemicals that we were using on the lawns and what we were spraying and there's, um, you know, there's always... Um, uh, health factor related to the chemical that you're using, whether it's um, it's called an LD50 for the chemicals. And, you know, you always had to read that to make sure that it was a very high number so that it was, you knew it was going to be less um, toxic. And I thought, why, why do we even worry about what's toxic? Why? So I started in my studies looking for alternative ways to um, bring health to the garden without using chemicals and fertilizers. Well, that, so, what, are, what are the regulations around using pesticides in Ontario? Well, now we are very limited. There was a ban on pesticides quite a few years ago. And um, so we're limited. Unless you're farming or a golf course, then you can use anything you like. And, you know, it, it, it just brings to mind um, something that I always like to hearken on. And, you know... 
farming and gardening and things like this, farming especially, we look at, that's our food source. What you put in the soil, how you treat your soil, that's the start of where we're going to get our nutrients from our food. So again, it's such an important thing to understand. You know, I, I imagine that like anything, it's a hard turnover from using pesticides to try and formulate organic formulas. And you're probably not getting the quick results of weed kill that you would with pesticides, but it's a love of the land, I guess. Well, yeah, it is. It's a love for yourself, I think, a love for your family and your your loved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Because soil is the foundation on which all sources of food are built. And And the dynamics in that soil are so important to all forms of life because there's animals eat the the plants and if we're if you're omnivores we eat the animals even if we're eating just if we're vegetarian or vegan you're still eating the plants and and you have to know what it is you're eating and where it's coming from and uh, right now they're saying that there's going to be a soil shortage in not so uh, distant future so it's really important that we look after our soil. Now, what do you mean a, a soil shortage? Well, because of the um, ways that we are farming, like factory farming, when there's huge, huge, you know, hundreds of acres of land that are being um, farmed with big machinery, that it is tilling over the soil. You're losing const- uh, the, um, the formation or the complex um, way a soil is built up because of all that turning, you're turning up all the microorganisms and there's a whole now push for no-till uh, agriculture, which means you don't till up the soil. I mean, tilling was such a, a mainstay in our way of thinking. So that's one way that we're ruining our, our soil um, uh, health. And then the other way is just by machines going over and tilling that there's, it's blowing all the soil away. Like when we get these extreme weather events, when we have these droughts and high winds, the soil is being blown away because of these huge tracts of land that are being left foul, like left open. So one one way is to we're looking at is having smaller tracts of land with trees around it to help keep the soil in place rather than have it all blow away like windbreaks between uh, farmers' fields. It's funny, driving up north in the area where you are, and even around where we have our place, you see tree lines dividing the properties up. And it's it's amazing how we're going back, you know, with food, with everything we do, we're going back to the way maybe it should be to really get to to understanding the land. So when when you're starting a garden then, so you've got, you know, you're in an urban or suburban area, are there different types of soils that we should be using, or is there one particular type of soil that we're going to build up the garden with? Like, maybe you can well, tell us how to do that. <clears throat> you, you want to know what your soil is that you're starting with, first of all. And um, in Toronto, in southern Ontario, it's basically clay. Okay. <laughs> there are a few pockets of sandy soils near the beach, and there's a few pockets near, I think, Mississauga, um, that are actually acidic, and that's with a, a pH that is below seven. But most of our soil comes, it's uh, clay and alkaline, which is pH is above seven. So you have to know, first of all, what kind of soil that you're dealing with. And then um, you want to do, you want to look at it. And if you need more organic material in it, <clears throat> and a good way to tell whether there's you can send soil samples away to the University of Guelph has soil analysis labs, or you can, you know, a simple way is to pick up a handful of soil, squeeze it. If it stays in a, a lump, then you know it's probably full of clay. If it falls apart completely, won't hold the shape, then it's probably too sandy. And then that ideal place is that it takes shape, but then you can, it will slowly fall apart. So you want to look at how much organic material you have in your soil. And then you can replenish it. Do you need to know the area, the zones that you're in to, to replenish in certain ways? Or can you go and buy a, you know, from Home Depot, a bag of whatever you need to sort of top things up? Yeah, well, compost is kind of, in my mind, is the panacea to all what ails any garden. 
you you uh, it is the best thing. It has it's full of the fungi, protozoa, nematodes, good nematodes, amoebas, and those are the microorganisms that are essential for soil health and therefore plant health because these microorganisms break down the soil, all the little micronutrients. They break it down. They actually create air pockets because air and water are the critical um, components to uh, for soil, for nutrients, and for the soil, so that it doesn't become too compact. And so, not only with the air and the um, creating more air and decompacting soil, but they also release nutrients so that those fine root hairs on the the trees and the all the shrubs and the perennials they can actually it becomes available to them and they can take it into their to their system. So compost is really whether you have acidic soil, whether you have acid soil, sandy soil, it's important, clay soil because it helps break down the clay. So it's really the best for all situations. So would you recommend beefing up your soil in the now or is this yes. something that now is the time to do it? Yeah, I would once, um, the best time is, and the easiest time, is once you've cleaned up your garden and cut down what you want to cut down, um, because some plants you want to leave just because it's good, they're nice for winter interest, but it's easier to see where you're putting the soil once everything is cut down. And then, so that's whenever, we up here do it um, after Thanksgiving generally, So, but you can do it any time. it's actually, let me backtrack. You don't want to do it just any time because compost, my experience has been that when you put down compost, is kind of is warm because it has been, especially when you've made it yourself or you get it from a, uh, uh, a landscape supply company, they have piles of compost. If you buy it in a bag, it's not, not an issue. But it's generally, when you buy it in bulk, it's generally a warm material because it keeps on working. It's, it keeps on breaking down. These microorganisms are breaking down all the other nutrients in the soil, and that creates heat. So when you put that soil down in your garden, if you put it down too soon, you're actually creating a welcome spot for rodents to come and nest because it's nice and warm. So I wait until we've had a frost and things, and the rodents have found their uh, uh, homes and uh, won't be in, enticed to come and stay in your garden. So I wait until it's quite cold and cut everything down and then put a, a two-inch layer. If you're putting it in a perennial bed, you don't want any more than two inches because you don't want to smother or um, the roots, the, the, the crowns of the plants coming up again in the, in the spring. Should this is this the only time of year this should be done? I'm, I'm just hearkening back to what I mentioned earlier. Um, we have lots of little critters that dig up my plants. Is that because we've been putting we put down um, some mulch and things throughout the summer? Is that incorrect? Uh, no, 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 no. It's mostly because they're in the in the fall, late late fall. They are looking for homes, so that's the the mice and the moles and stuff but the rodents like the squirrels and stuff they're going to dig up your garden no matter what time of year it is they're they're just the way they are okay maybe you can give us some tips well we'll get to the tips after because i have um they're supposed to be very nice tulips i didn't plant uh i didn't plant them i haven't planted them yet but uh, my experience is that they're dug up i've tried in two different homes in the same area to plant them and um i find them it's almost they're almost teasing me i find some yeah. on my windowsills i find oh, some gee. yeah they're they're special <laughs> little fellows we have around our place but we'll get to yeah, all that they, seem, <laughs> they just cut the flower off and leave it that's well they, they, they actually i i envision them pulling it out eating it and then just leaving it there saying try again you know maybe we'll no. maybe we'll give it another <laughs> shot at another time but uh, yeah so maybe some tips and tricks about uh you know, that sort of thing. And we'll get to that as we get more to the specifics. But okay. is, is, the, is the fall the time to start? Now, you mentioned sort of some, some trees you want to leave ornamentally. I've been told a couple of different things in my very limited experience with gardening is that we wait until, I've been told for some of our perennials, wait until well into spring because that's when they're budding and you'll know exactly the form of the tree and then cut. What is your recommendation for sort of pruning in this in the fall um well 
pruning trees or shrubs? Well, let's let's do shrubs because that's what most people. If um, pruning trees, I would leave to a certified arborist. Okay. And uh, but shrubs in our garden is um, you want to you really have to know what when your when your shrub is blooming. So generally, if it blooms first thing in the spring, it has already set its buds right now for the springtime. So if you were to prune now those shrubs, like example, forsythia mm-hmm. and spire, uh, bridal wreath spirea are two that top of my head that and lilacs, they all bloom first thing in the spring or relatively first thing. And if you were to prune them now, you're going to prune off all those flower buds that are coming for that have already been set for next year so you you want to wait and prune those right after they have flowered shrubs like uh, rose of sharon and um, uh, anthony waterer bumaldespireas you can plant you can prune those first thing in the spring because they prune they bloom on what we call current seasons growth so if you prune them now and then they start to um, grow in the spring, they're going to grow new growth, and that's where they're going to set their flower buds. Interesting. Actually, you know what? Maybe I should have backtracked with this, and I think after the break I'm going to, maybe you can, we'll start off with the importance of actually pruning um, your your shrubs and your trees. But we're going to take a quick break. So we'll start off uh, the next segment with why it's important, and we'll get into more questions about uh, preparing for the fall and winter garden. We'll be back in a few minutes, everybody. No, I'm not backing. I'll walk the line. I stay out the way. Yeah, never speak my mind. Living in the shade of gray. But the more I get to know me, the more you start to show me.
are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Teresa Matamoros from Garden Holistics. Again, our number is 416-245-1534. Don't be shy to call in. We have a, a couple of questions in on Twitter that we're going to get to in a few minutes. But before the break, we talked about um, pruning. And Teresa, maybe you can explain um, to us novices the importance of pruning your, your trees and which one, trees and shrubs and which ones to leave alone. Okay. Well, um, any shrub that has got anything dead in it, you want to remove it. And if it's diseased, you want to remove it. So those are the two main ones, dead and diseased. And then you want to prune for shape. And um, the shape, and sometimes you want to keep it within bounds of a, a certain area. And I sort of reluctant to even include that because sometimes if you're trying to keep it really, really small, then perhaps you have the wrong shrub in there. And I'm all for the right plant in the right place. And if you're keep, you know, pruning this thing down and down and down, then it's not the right plant. And it's not fair to it, I don't think, that um, we keep reducing its reserves because the leaves are what it's, it's using to make its own its photosynthesis, which is its food source, its carbohydrates. So if you keep cutting those leaves off, you're depleting its ability to make food for itself. So um, you want to prune it for shape, but not too hard. And you want to prune it to its natural shape. So if it's a vase shape, you want to thin it out. You want to uh, thin it out for air circulation because that helps prevent disease. And sometimes you'll prune to uh, create more flowers or fruit if it's uh, a fruiting uh, shrub or tree, small tree. And you just, I guess, have to learn the right time of season to do this. So you either research it or talk to a specialist. Yeah, well, for for the trees, for sure. But for your own shrubs... um, you can prune them really any time. Um, uh, there are certain times that you like prune your spring flowering things after they flowered. You spring your, you prune your other shrubs that are flowering on current season's growth. You can prune those first thing in the spring. Your evergreens, your shrubs, your junipers, your cedars, you don't want to prune until the end of May. So, But you know what, Kathy, there's a lot of these rules, and I don't think the... That's sort of the best practices, but if you happen to prune them outside of those times, it's not going to be the end of the world. Okay. So I don't want people to get too worried because a lot of people are very nervous about pruning, Mm -hmm. and there are some, you'll learn only by doing it. So I really suggest that if you are concerned about doing it totally right, get a professional to come in, show you how to do it in your own garden, and then you can learn and do it yourself afterwards. Okay. Okay. And it also, it's like a piece of art, isn't it? It's personal preference. It's the way you want your garden to flow. Some can be oh, particularly yeah. manicured and some more, more wild. And it, um, yeah, some people just, and some people have a knack for it. I am, I admit, not one of those, as you well know. Um, now, okay, so let's get into... That's what we're here for. That's right. And that's why I'm sharing you with the world. Um, yeah. Let's outline then. So you're you're going to be sitting with a bunch of people and you're going to say, this is what you need to do for fall and winter prep. Can you give us just general guidelines that you can tell everybody about that they should be thinking? Okay. So um, you want to, as I said from the beginning, I think the most important thing is to look at your soil. And if you haven't amended it in the last couple of years, then you do want to put down a good layer of compost. And you can, you know, there's manure out there and you can make a mix of manure and compost. That's good. So you look at your garden and you, and another good thing is to, um, you want to see, if, hopefully you've done this before this time, but if you're thinking about planting spring bulbs, then uh, you will have earlier put sticks in the ground that will show where you want or to have taken pictures so that you can see where you want those spring bulbs. And then you would plant the bulbs. You would also do any perennial planting has to be done 
I up here anyhow, Toronto is probably you can push it uh, a little bit later, but I don't like to plant perennials until uh, after the end of September because they need a good six weeks to set their roots and get established. Otherwise, the heave from the 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 te- winter temperature and the winter weather will heave the roots and they won't get an opportunity to uh, really take hold and establish and they could actually be lifted almost right out of the soil. And I've seen that happen with late plantings. Does that include so, trees, Teresa? Pardon? Does that include trees? Uh, no. Anything okay. that is um, the con- shrubs and trees, you can plant those. They're much hardier. And you can plant those anytime that you can get a shovel in the ground. Okay. Okay. So if if it's not frozen, you can plant them. And I think if you've got them, they're probably going to be happier in the ground than sitting in their pots. Okay. And then what else to do with the garden? I think we talked about um, blowing leaves into it at one point during some of our conversations that you and I have had, blowing leaves yes. into the garden instead of out of the garden. That's right. Yeah, I'm. Um, I would. A lot of our clients up here, I really, unless they're really, really particular, um, I really encourage uh, people to blow a few leaves, you know, so that you have um, maybe four, six inches of leaf, leaf material in your garden. So your grass should be kept uh, clear of leaves for the winter because you don't want them all matted down. Um, your grass is another story with that because it can it's very susceptible to mold if you don't get those leaves right off the the grass first thing in the spring. But in the fall, you want to blow the leaves off your grass and you want to blow some of those leaves into your garden. Blow them around the trees, the tree circles. Blow them around and into the your perennial garden, and that helps to insulate the the plants. It gives the buffer on the soil. So that things don't, uh, you know, we now these days we've been getting a lot of these kind of midwinter thaws. Mm-hmm. If you have a good layer of mulch and leaves on your garden, your your plants will not be at the effect of those thaws. So that's good. And then in the spring, you can blow some of them off because over the winter, some of them will have decomposed, adding more nutrient back to the soil. Okay, so your your twofold uh, purpose for doing that, <clears throat> and this probably is a good inter- uh, time to interject with one of the questions. Um, can I plant a fruit tree now, or does it? And yeah. I imagine each fruit tree has its own time of planting. Yeah, or are they all the same? No, you can plant a fruit tree now. Absolutely, it's a good time to plant. It's actually fall is a nice time to plant, especially evergreens. Is the perfect time to uh, plant late summer, early fall, because the nights are cooler. So there's um, there's not the stress on the root systems. And the uh, days are a little warmer, so they're still being able to produce some uh, cl- uh, chlorophyll and um, they're photosynthesizing still with their leaves. So they haven't gone into dormancy yet, so that's a good time to plant. Okay, great. Now, I, just before I forget, I wanted to go back just for my own point of reference. Um, we, should, we should be planting our bulbs now, like tulips and crocuses should be planted now? No, not now. You want oh. to plant them in um, in September. In September. Um, daffodils need a little bit longer to set their roots, but I have pushed it and by putting by planting them and then putting mulch over top because that again is adding that buffer for the uh, soil temperature. And if we do get an early cold snap, then the the mulch keeps it from freezing. So you want to wait till September to uh, plant your bulbs. Okay, and back to the bulb thing, because it's a particular interest to me, because I haven't had yeah. success. Um, I, uh, so you plant your bulbs, they, they, um, they flower in the spring, you cut them back. Can you plant over top of those bulbs, or is that now an area restricted planting? Oh, no, no, no. You want to definitely plant the bulbs in areas where other things are going to grow up over top of them, because, you know, bulbs... You, you can cut, after the bulbs have finished flowering, you can cut the stem and the flower off, but you must leave the leaves on. And they, they, those leaves um, are full of nutrients that drain back down into the bulb and feed the bulb. So you, you have to leave those leaves on. And they look a bit unsightly in the garden. You see some people will, especially for daffodils, they've got long, narrow leaves. You'll tie them up in knots or um, hide them. I push them down under other other 
plants. And those other plants are things like daylilies, ornamental grasses, hostas. Oh, perennials. Anything, pardon? Perennials you can plant over top of them. Oh, yeah, perennials for sure. Oh, then how deep do the bulbs need to be planted? Well, each bulb has its own depth and that the smaller bulbs can be planted shallower. It's usually about two times the depth of the, the, the width of the bulb or the length of the bulb. And then the um, daffodils and the tulips can be planted six to eight inches down. And the deeper you go, the better it is to, this is one way to try to avoid the squirrels from digging them up once they've been planted. Um, and then the other thing is to plant, the, you can plant different bulbs on in the same hole. So what we were talking about before is you would plant your tulips at the bottom of the hole, then you would put a daffodil on top of that, put a little soil down and then in the hole and then plant a daffodil. And because the squirrels don't like daffodils, they're toxic to them. Oh. And then put more soil down, and then you can put some of the smaller bulbs, some grape hyacinths, some crocus. Well, the, the squirrels like the crocus once they come up, but I don't think they eat them before that. Um, I haven't seen it anyhow. So you can plant, so in one hole, you can plant many different uh, bulbs. I had no idea. Now, I had um, uh, someone uh, told me, it might have been my mom. Um, mothballs throwing in there. The, apparently critters don't like mothballs. Is that a fallacy or is there anything else um, that we can plant to try to drive them away? Yeah, that's a bit of a myth. Okay. Um, the mothballs and they're, they're kind of toxic too. So I would keep them out of my garden. Um, but you can use blood meal and blood meal is just, it is blood that has been dried and, um, when you sprinkle that, what I do is after we've planted, I sprinkle the whole area that we've planted with a, a light dusting of blood meal. And they do not like the smell of that. So they will stay away. And, and then I do this again in the spring. So once the uh, bulbs start coming up, I will keep dusting. And you have to do it after it rains because the rain, it's just an, a source of nitrogen once it gets diluted in with the rain. So it's really very safe for your garden. And then if it rains, you sprinkle a little more and they will actually get to, uh, my experience has been, they will sort of figure, oh, this isn't a good place to be. I'm going to, you know, look elsewhere. And they'll actually just stay away from the garden where they've, all this blood meal has been. And blood meal down. you get at the, um, at a gardening store? Hardware. Yeah, the hardware store, um, nurseries, yep. Okay, I just want to interject with another question I've been putting off here for a sec. Um, somebody has, text or has um, tweeted in that they have one-year-old trees. Should they be wrapped for what the winter? kind of a tree? Yeah, if uh, it's an evergreen, yes. Okay, it doesn't actually say. Um, what about a fruit tree? Do you need to wrap fruit trees? Well, if you've got... Um, you want to wrap the trunk in uh, or put chicken wire or put those tree guards on because they they prevent the um, critters from chewing the bark. So, yes, you do want to wrap those. Uh, cri- uh, the fruit trees only or with the, with uh, the uh, chicken wire? If you have any kind of a new, I've climbed up here, planted a whole row of maples, and uh, we had that one, you know, a couple of years ago with those polar vortex. And there was a lot of snow and very cold. And uh, once the snow melted, all her trees, we call it being girdled. And it's either by rabbits or mice or moles, moles that will chew the bark. So it's not limited to fruit trees. But apple trees are a delicacy on their, oh, <laughs> on their okay. menu. So I need to know that. Anything that's got a very fine bark. Can the trees recover bark. if the animals get to them over the winter? If 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 the bark has been girdled or chewed all the way around, it will not recover, unfortunately. And oh. so if it's more than 50% of the way around the tree, the circumference, it's kind of dicey. Hmm. The tree will probably be okay, but it'll always be at a disadvantage. It'll always be in a kind of a negative uh, growth place. Okay. Because that'll be a weak part. Unless it's very young, the tree can, what we say, compartmentalize. 
so that the, um, or we say heal, so that the, you know, the wounds on the sides, it, it can grow new bark and cover it depending on how young the tree is and how um, vigorous and how healthy they are. Okay. Now, what about splitting plants, <clears throat> splitting hostas, splitting uh, daily leaves? I think you can split. Is this the time of year to do it? Yeah, most of the perennials you can split. Of course, fall flowering um, perennials, like there's the wind fall anemone, the wind flower that um, you is blooming now. So anything that's blooming now is not the time to plant. It's the time to split. You can definitely plant it, but you do not want to split it because you'll be disrupting its flowering okay. ability. Unless, of course, you um, are stuck and it's the only time in which case if you have to split something that is flowering now, you have to um, forego the flowers for the for the plant. So I would cut all the flowers off and then split it. But hostas and daylilies, um, anything that has bloomed earlier, uh, you can definitely split. Um, peonies, uh, I was told once at a, when I was very early into this business by a, an elderly woman at a garden club, she said peonies have to be split on September 13th. <laughs> <laughs> and so, is that when you split yours? Uh, well, up here, I, I would do it a little bit sooner because she was in Leaside in Toronto. So uh, it's a little bit warmer. But uh, definitely, if you want to do it, I would follow the advice of the of a well, um, well-experienced gardener. So, um, so we, yeah, talked, definitely. We, we talked a little bit about lawn care, about blowing the leaves. But I think yeah. it's an area that we should touch on because if, if anything, people have probably more lawn than they have gardens. So maybe you could give us some winterizing, fall winterizing tips for our lawn. Um, yeah, the lawns, as I said, should be blown clear of leaves uh, as late as you don't want any leaves on it. And sometimes we have a freak snowfalls, and so that's not too uh, easy. But as soon as the snow melts, you want to get in there. Um, there is fall fertilizing, which is really important. And you want to have um, a fertilizer, you know, that's usually in three numbers, uh, NPK, nitrogen, potassium, and uh, or phosphorus and potassium is the NPK. And you want to make sure for a fall fertilizer that you are using something that has a low number in the N for nitrogen because you want the phosphorus and potassium to be higher. And really potassium is what's going to give uh, strength and um, uh, what did I say, health, it, uh, allow it to withstand the rigors of winter. Phosphorus, there's a lot of talk right now about the, the total um, sort of, really, we do not need to put phosphorus in the soil. We have a lot of phosphorus in our soil now, so um, you should always look at for a low number of the phosphorus, the NP, the P of the NPK. And um, the other thing that you can do now, which is very helpful, is to aerate and that's with a machine that takes plugs out and then what we do is to top dress with a compost mix and then overseed because the important uh, important turf health is uh, based on a, uh, a lot of t uh, turf so you want to muscle out those weeds by always overseeding with a, a good a mix of grass, whatever you have. If you have shady lawn, you, there's lots of shade mixes. Uh, perennial ryegrass is a good nurse grass, they say, because it it grows really, it germinates really quickly, so it creates um, shade for the other grasses to grow. So you can have a mix of Kentucky Blue with some fescue because fescue helps with drought tolerance. So you want a good mix of grass. So you can do that in the fall because right now is a one of the is the best time to uh, overseed. Okay, I you know what you, you mentioned aerating. We do that in the spring. Is that so? We we're doing it backwards. Uh, no, you can do it in the spring, but there is two schools of thought on that. And one because the spring is uh, lots of things are growing, especially weeds and weed seeds. That um, you might be just uh, encouraging. Um, the the weed seeds to to grow and also with the spring it's often wet and you do not want to aerate when it's wet so we uh, will leave the if possible the aeration to the late summer 
Okay. Because it's usually drier and uh, where's not so many weed seeds around. Now, if you've aerated in the spring, should you aerate again in the fall? Because apparently we're doing it the wrong time of year. But people come around asking to aerate in the spring. And I don't have anyone coming to the door to aerate in the fall. No, I know. It's it's really the it's the traditional time to aerate. So it's what people think that's the thing to do. But um, it it really... Um, you're not going to harm, you're not going to do more harm by aerating in the spring. It's go- one of those things that it's going to be maximum efficiency to do it in the fall. Okay, well, that's, that's good. a good point to uh, end off with because I did not know that at all. So we are heading to the end of our show, Teresa, and I'm wondering if you can give our listeners some tip that can, you know, for, for novice people that are trying to take care of their own garden, is there something that you can help them with um, that would get them on their way? Well, I think I've said it many times and I'll say it again because it's the most important thing this time and that's compost. Compost for your garden. Amend your soil with compost with every opportunity you can. And there's really not, I don't think in your perennial gardens there's really any um, chance of overdoing it. Okay, so compost that's great in to your know. garden, please. That's great to know. Thank you so much, Teresa, for joining us. Teresa, again, is from Garden Holistics. If you'd like to reach her, her website is www.gardenholistics, G-A-R-D-E-N-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-S.com. And as, as always, if, uh, if you've missed that, you can contact us and we will give you Teresa's information. And thank you, Teresa, for joining us. Very, very informative. I'm sure everyone's really um, learned quite a bit. I know I did just sitting here listening. So thank you so much. And maybe we'll have you on in the spring and you can tell us what to do to to start planting and getting our our summer gardens looking nice. Would love to. Awesome. Awesome. Have a great day, Teresa. And everybody, we will talk to you again next week. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.